time for the Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And my son, Jack. Hey, guys. And we are once again covering uh, Netflix's Disenchantment. This is our second installment in which we will be discussing episodes four, five, and six. Episode four was called Castle Party Massacre. I don't remember specifically seeing Slumber Party Massacre as a horror movie, but I know that that's a thing. Like, either Why Slumber Party's got to go so wrong. You know, you know? it's it's a it's low hanging fruit for <laughs> people that are massacre minded <laughs> or psychos. Yes, agreed. And and you know what? It's no different in this hitch. Uh, Kingdom of Dreamland is. <laughs> left undefended basically i guess with without zog there's for as much as zog is i don't know he doesn't really come off as like a great king or anything like that right okay he, without him there things go to hell <laughs> yeah <laughs> right? so let's talk about what happens to zog zog drank poison from a horse that is dead in a fountain how gross right i right. cannot even imagine can you imagine drinking water that a dead horse has been in i like that hurts my stomach yep so he was sent for a steam bath with Chaz, the crazy guy who drove him nuts emotionally. <laughs> Before we get there, there's a few good jokes. Like when Bean is up in her room with the boy who doesn't want to make out with her anymore once he's figured out that she's the princess. Which, by the way, who else lives at the top of the tower in the tallest castle in the kingdom? She does not pick the smartest boys. But the uh, remember the, the Scrivener was, was in the balcony? Yes. Uh, kind of dictating his own exit from the scene. Yes. I, I, I liked that. That was funny. Yes. Sorcerio and Oddvald, the, he's the city's prime minister. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. They were discussing their secret meeting once the ass wipe leaves. <laughs> that was like their code <laughs> word for, for king. And Elbow's like, hello, ass wipe. <laughs> to King Zog. That was hilarious that was stuff. So Did any other big jokes stand out I, to you? I thought in that part when they decide they're going to knock out Elfo and they say 10 cc's of brick <laughs> to like hit him over the uh, head. I love that. Very it's primitive. Like, uh, it's like... Uh, it's like, uh, what's that episode of The Simpsons where the screaming uh, caterpillar is on the, oh, yeah. is in the backyard and he's like, and Homer's like, I think we need a visit from Dr. Foot and, or Dr. <laughs> no, Dr. Shoe. Then that, that, then he's like going to mash him. Yeah. Same kind of joke. Makes me laugh then, makes me laugh here. The personal demon part where he suggests that, um, that being could kill Zog and hollow out his body and wear his skin around. Super gross. Yeah, that Lucy's full of full of ideas, huh? <laughs> He's an idea fountain. I liked it when he killed her boyfriend, who was afraid of her. So Lucy kicked off his grappling hook, huh? and the guy fell. Ah. Oh, yeah, I forgot he did that. Yeah, he. We're not sure he if he's trouble, died, right? But, uh, yeah. Uh, at least he fell down into the water, right? Fell down a ways. He did fall down quite a ways. Yes. So, yeah, so the whole setup is that Bean is left home alone, essentially, and Zog is off to runoff spring where they have the thirstiest leeches. Counselors are all busy with their nefarious secret meeting. Yeah, well, I mean, when the uh, cat's away, the mice will play, right? So it's like everybody, the entire castle basically is like breathes a sigh of relief right. and decides to let down their hair, right? They just kind of slap five and all head different directions. <laughs> Did you guys mark down how they how they invited the people? They invited them in Speedos under the ropes. You mean the secret meeting? Yes. 
Yeah, that was the secret meeting. Let's talk about the regular party first. Yeah, let's do that. So, did you do you remember how they did like hear ye, hear ye? Do you remember that part? They invited the whole kingdom. Yeah, it was so funny the way you said it. it goes hear ye, hear ye. Where are my party people at? <laughs> <laughs> and then the the band that was playing was the Pillage People. But it was actually like the lead knight, right? Wasn't he the the, oh, sure. the, the one with the eye patch? Yeah. Wasn't he uh, the lead singer? Who? Where did the mayor of Babyville uh, joke come along? All I have is mayor of Babyville I also in wrote, my notes. But I put mayor of Babyville and I put asking people to dance way too long. Do you have anything about mayor of Babyville? Yes, I do. What about it? They called Elfo the mayor of Babyville. Oh, because uh, they thought he was like a baby. Uh, right. Oh, yes. yes. That's funny. Yes. Good job. See, personally, mayor of Babyville is something that I signed to Caroline on a card when we had babies, like years and years and years ago. Uh, like 14 years ago. So. And he actually signed it to mayor of Babyville, and then he signed it, love deputy mayor of Babyville. So to Matt Groening, stay out of our belongings, <laughs> okay? Yeah, I like just ran across that note the other day. Extra creepy. So what happens every time that you throw a party and you invite everybody? Who always shows up? Vikings. Barbarians. Party, party crashers, right, people? You always get some of those peeps that you don't want to show up to your party. And true to form, the Vikings show up. How do you feel about this subplot of Elfo having romantic feelings for Bean and Lucy kind of teasing it at him? Well, that's been, I think, the entire time that that he's been kind of showing these little like nuggets of being in love with her. Like, you know, when he was like, she has him tucked down inside the course and he's like, I'm just going to be stay here now or something like that. And he's like smelling her hair and well, yeah, remember he was trying to like get a look at her when she was getting changed. Well, some of that is just like boy girl stuff. But like there was that joke a couple episodes ago when they're first escaping where where he says something like, welcome. They, they, they have to sleep by her feet. Right. Yeah, and yeah, he says, goes, welcome to the friend zone. The only zone you'll ever know or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you're not getting out of here. Something like that. Something like that, yeah. Jack, what did you think about Elfo? Do you think he has feelings for Bean? Like, what do you think's going on there? Well, I feel like, well, I feel like he should be cheating on Kissy. Mm. Mm, I think Kissy's old news at this point. I think Kissy is old news because he can't really ever go back, can he? Because it's like a porthole. Right. So he might yep. have to find a new love. Yeesh. Well, so what did you guys think about the Vikings? What caused their their big shift? I mean, they came and they were kind of, you know, jackasses, but they weren't exactly there to take over the kingdom right away. I think they were always there to take over the kingdom right oh, away. They, they were you, just kind of figuring it, figuring things out. Well, everyone knows Vikings pillage and take over kingdoms. That's a big deal. Yeah. So I'm, I'm with you. I think that that is like the only thing they were going to do. I thought that, uh, you know, the idea that Bean was going to try to get with this Viking mainly because he like didn't know who she was. Mm -hmm. So then she could like get away with that. The, for the, the whole party, Bean could never really find her place. Like for inviting all these people, no one seemed to care that she was there. Um, she couldn't dance with anybody. That was just part of what her, her problem was at the beginning with the boy, right? And then in the tower was once I they think, figured out who she was, they didn't want to mess with her because of the repercussions from the king. Yeah, I think, but I think that that like holds true. Like, I mean, first of all, we showed, we showed her in the first like episodes one through three where like, she never was like a nice person to anybody. You know, she did drink and cheat and, you know, just generally was like a crappy person. And so it's not surprising that she doesn't have like friends or anything, you know? Well, but if you remember from that very first episode when she was being dragged out of the bar 
and taken away by Oddvald. Um, yeah. Everyone knew her. They were like, hi, princess. Hi, princess. And the, several people were just like, hi, princess. And they were not like jerks about it. They. I think that those people were like adult people in the village versus like the people who came to the party, I think, were supposed to be closer to her age. Don't you think? Hmm. So like within her peer group, whatever that is. I don't think she has. I mean, like how the rest of the castle went to the other party, the <laughs> down in the basement party. Right. I, I mean, I just don't think that there was any. The people who were saying, hi, good day, whatever. I think that was supposed to be almost like Belle in Beauty and the Beast. You know, like, good day. Hello, Belle. Okay. Like that kind of thing. And I, and they were just like villagers, you know, who should say hello to her. But they don't like know her, you know. Okay. All right. They just know she's the princess. Of course. They're, they're, it is her, their princess. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you would say hello and like tip your hat or whatever. So, Elfo as the chimp. I thought that was hilarious. I loved all that that snow chimp stuff. That was hilarious. And the Viking, when he says, uh, you allow your chimp on the bed. <laughs> I, I like just love the word chimp. I could just say <laughs> chimp, chimp, chimp all day long. Oh, my God. I kind of do say chimp. So, we have like a couple different storylines that, that start up here. We have like the Vikings and they have to basically like in every party when you get this party crasher then you have to find a reason to get them out right Mm -hmm. so in this case how do they get rid of the vikings elfo tricked them into drinking the poison vows pretty good trick yeah with bloaty the dead squirrel bloaty the dead squirrel that was awesome so yeah that was a super good trick and it absolutely proved like elfo's loyalty and dedication to her that was a really big deal that was probably like the big move forward in that storyline. Oh, yeah, because he had to drink it a little bit, too. Yeah, in order to, to just try to hope, prove that it was okay. Hope that his elf magic would, would keep him okay through the whole thing. Exactly. So they did rid the castle and they do the quintessential, you know, cleanup montage. Everybody's cleaning up and doing everything. Did and, you uh, uh, did you notice any possible Burnsian connection to the trapdoor and the floor business? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, me too. But I, I mean, in addition, I do think that like the idea of having, I mean, they've had multiple trapdoors already. Like there was a trapdoor down for whatever Lord Lingonberry went down the trapdoor, and mm. um, so yeah, I think that's that's part of a castle. I think part of a palace. And then going back to the Zog storyline, as uh, Jack mentioned, they go through the spa. What do you think about Chaz? He was weird. He creeped him out, tried to give him emotions. But it turns out Zog doesn't have any feelings. He doesn't. He was annoyed. He just was powerless to do anything about it for a long time. And once he could break out, then then Chaz was like, that was the treatment. You pass. And, and so that was the joke also was uh, getting him stirred up enough, you know, to, for his strength to return to him. Yeah, what, that what makes sense. Was the idea. So weird. I, I guess that's what you say if it works, right? That was the plan all yep. along. I right? think that's exactly what you say to a king, right? That was totally the way I, I absolutely healed you. The strangest storyline, I feel like, in this one was definitely the storyline of the the smaller party in the basement. That was a weird turn. That was probably... Less Simpson-y, a little more Futurama-y, and now we know where Disenchantment has some of the bodies buried, I guess, with a, um, what would you call that, a swingers club or something down there? I'm not sure. It felt like it was some sort of like cult kind of thing at first, right? And so then I thought- I, I felt like maybe I caught a glimpse of the two people who, who were like trying to put the hex on Bean. 
Like, I swear yeah. at some point I saw somebody who at least looks similar. Did you see anyone? Uh, I yes. I saw people under the basement at the party. Do you think there were those people that were, like, trying to get Bean, like the ones who gave him Lucy? Yes. You do. So then do we think that they're in on it? Which would make sense. And the whole Game of Thrones kind of middle, you know, what is his name? Littlefinger? Yeah. Like, I mean, those guys are always the bad guys, right? They're always, like, causing other crap. Well, they're always looking for, for a way up. And... During the Comic-Con deal, they did say that Oddvald is, he's got his own desires. He's not really, he's not always looking out for the king's best interests. So the idea of him being in league with these people that want to set the princess on a dark path. That totally makes sense. It does make sense. I thought that one of the funny things that for the ending there was when um, the king comes back and the, all of the torsos fall out of the chimney. Yes. That was awesome. Because they had, there was a moment when they were, when they were cleaning up and Elfo said something like, can you help me stick these torsos up the chimney or some, something like that? So, so yeah. gross, right? Pretty funny. Well, there was also this cool scene with our three main characters sitting on a tower roof, right? Looking into the sunset, is that right? Am yes. I, am I thinking of the right episode? Maybe even the, I don't know if it's sunset or maybe the sun's coming up because it was a party. You're right. It was dawn. You know, yeah. it's the same kind of look except the sun's going a different direction. They made this comment about, or oh, Lucy made a comment about reality being a dream, right? Yeah, I totally heard that. It was like, ah. To review, we have this podcast theory that- Maybe this whole thing is someone's dream because of the opening shot of the whole uh, whole series being someone in bed. And then other little verbal hints the here and there. The fact that it's dreamland even. You know, right, all right, this stuff. right. So there's a lot, a lot to wonder about there. So as they mentioned at Comic-Con, this show is serialized, meaning one show feeds into the next. However, these three episodes, yes, they do go in a sequence. They're very, I would say, lightly serialized. I agree with that. Like, I definitely felt like, I mean, yes, one affected the other, yes, but I felt like it very much was like individual ideas for each one. The idea about the next one, faster princess kill, kill, is that it's like they they uh, are trying to find a purpose for her. It's like the, it's like tough love, right? That's sort of kicking her out of the castle. And hoping she finds her way and comes back a better princess story. When you when you say, uh, I would say that I mean at least the start of it for sure is like you know the the teenage girl acting up goes to the convent. Right. Well, that is the serialized part. Is that he found out about the party, so he she has to go to the convent. That that's <laughs> that that's like that slight sliver of connection there. The sign outside the convent, Our Lady of Unlimited Chastity, live prude girls. Pretty Too hilarious. Funny. Yeah. Too funny. You know, I looked into faster pussycat kill kill to see if there was any connection since I hadn't actually seen the movie. I can't figure out what the connection is. Okay. It's it's what, a what is it about? It's about these three criminal women that that get involved with a various numbers of people throughout the movie and they and a bunch of people end up dead and most of the women end up dead and it's a Russ Meyer film so it's oh, really more about, about boobs boobs and kind of wild action and that kind of stuff and uh yeah I guess I need to see it because it's um 
It's one of those. It's one of those. You need to see it, huh? Well, I mean, in researching it, it was one of those movies that was severely panned at the time and then has come back around to be one of those. Everybody in film school sees this and the teachers think it's great and it's on the, you know, 100 best of the century or whatever. It is not all Not 100 best. Yeah, no, it it has come back around. Russ Meyer movies, I mean, yeah, okay, we get it. The big boobs and, and all that. But I mean No, no, it's something about something about the plot and how it was made and all that. I'm not I I, I haven't seen it. I don't know. But from reading the, the Wikipedia, I can't I couldn't draw the connection between this story and that one. Just a catchy Well, time. I mean, if you have the three the three of them together having this adventure, we do have three Lucy, Elfo, yeah. Bean having these adventures. So we have some nugget there. But Bean is all by herself at this new convent. And uh, I thought all the little all the little parts where they were like, why does she get the granite slab? Or like they're chanting like, you are bad, I am bad, God is slightly better. <laughs> all that business. I mean, yes, too funny. I mean, I think they showed like, you know, I, again, I think that there were those moments for for older people and then for the younger people they had like the moments about like the slurping soup where it's like if we need to like show you that she is not in sync with everyone else okay mm-hmm. so they all you know sip their soup and you slurp your soup like that was my note was that they do everything in sync and she is out of sync very much out of sync is what i wrote too and and i think just the idea that they continuously show us the same message but on different levels so it's like we know that she's not in sync on various levels and then it's like for even if you were a a young person and you watched it you'd be like oh no i understand that one's different you know Mm -hmm. just from watching the soup scene and then more typical graining-esque commentary on organized religion or at least oh yeah i mean the blatant like why if you want to help the poor why don't you just melt down the gold statue and hand out the gold right yeah and then they yell don't you bring logic into the house of god (laughs) perfect (laughs) the convent does not last long it does not and i mean one of the lines was like you know that that Zog says is that women are either princesses or nuns. And we know that that's that's like the truth of it, right? Like it's still like stereotypically in society. It's like you're either like a mother or like a Madonna, you know, type figure or you're like the bad girl or whatever. I don't know what the, the in this particular case, I don't really I don't know what princess is equal to. I'm not sure what that's supposed to be. If you say you're either a princess or a nun. I was thinking that he meant that I thought I thought it was more constrained than just overall commentary on life in the like world. Like that's really all of her choices are really either to be a princess or to be a nun. Within his scope. Yeah. Like within fantasy world, within women that he knows is, yeah, it's either royalties or, or nuns. And I don't think he keeps track of um, the- <laughs> Right. The rest of the villagers. As they, as they call it in Game of Thrones, the small folk. Ah, nice. Yes. Well, we get a chance to see the small folk's life because she does end up kicked out of the convent and back to the castle and the castle isn't going to have her either. So the king kicks her out there and she heads off and she ends up like um, going off with her. Her handmaiden, Bunty. She she finds Bunty's house. And if you've been picking up on Bunty's little asides this whole time, you will have get gotten the idea that Bunty is not well taken care of by no. the uh, by the royalty. Well, it's just a it's just a hard life, you know, like for the for the common folk generally, right? Yeah. Like I mean they just don't have anything. They have that orphan sign out every everyone must go. 
<laughs> Where they have a hole yeah. in the side of the house, and but they're not fancy enough to have a proper window. She says they don't, they can't afford that. Exactly, and they only recently got the hole in the side of the house. <laughs> right. That was like big doings, right? right? Yes. So she tries her hand at different jobs in order to try to learn, you know, how to how to actually make get along in this life. And she like first does the shepherd, and then she does like coyote howl and like runs all the sheep off the right. cliff. She tries the lighthouse and ends up crashing, crashing all the, the ships, ships. Right. The Butcher, that was awful because she's like, look, I did a great job butchering it. And he's like, this is a pet shop. That was horrible. Gross. I, I like the uh, where they they continue the theme of, of treating Elfo like the, like instead of an elf, more like a baby. And uh, she she puts Elfo with the rest of her babies and they nurse from a pig. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm gross, but I thought that was a pretty hilarious picture, seeing them all suckling this pig. <laughs> I don't know. It, Elfo is a funny little guy. I mean, I guess his his like innocence just plays into being a baby. And I think that that's where, when you were saying in the last episode, it's a little bit like off-putting to see him be like interested in being. It's like a little weird, you know, because it's like if you're supposed to be this little naive little guy, then it is like kind of doesn't match up. Mm. as well for you to also be like lusting and wanting to date after a bean like it doesn't even really make sense you know that may be my disconnect elfo is that he's portrayed more childlike and and she's portrayed with the alcoholism and and the experience with boys and all that just being much 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 older and so that just is kind of like, um, I don't know, a mismatch for me. But Yeah, it feels uncomfortable, right? Because yeah. it's like, oh, I don't know really. I mean, I guess he could like idolize her, but certainly no romance, you know? Right, Just weird, right. just weird. So ultimately, um, you know, she fails at all of these things. And so the only thing that she can do is go to work with Stan. It's like take your daughter to work day, right? Something like that. Stan, the dreamland uh executioner you'd think the executioner and the and the princess handmaid would pull down a little better than than a than that living so many I, children Paulo. i'm sure that they were considered a pretty well to do they do have the hole in the side of the house they have plenty of food for all their little people right i guess they're and keeping them all alive of babies yes. right yes that's the big thing i mean think about that that there's just you know they seem to have a, a decent uh, mortality rate although they did say like god rest her soul about the one kid <laughs> so in the executioner's workplace there was her beans first uh victim and this is something that is probably uh indicative of me as a person but you perceived the being needled to death about the um what he wanted to, his last meal to be as being a commentary on it'd be much better to not have to talk to this woman <laughs> as long as you just start torturing me physically, right? And I didn't I didn't quite get it on like that talking to a woman level. Okay. What well, how did you perceive it? Talking to her. Just being in particular was was yes. such a pain. Yeah. Okay. I, I kind of thought that it was more like about the indecisiveness about women or nagging that women do and that that was the harshest torture really a man could endure was not being stretched on the rack and not being like, you know, uh, whipped, but to have a woman just stand there and be like, well, I don't know. What do you 
anything go, no, I don't know, just doing that. After you mentioned it, I mean, I totally see your point. <laughs> After you hear my voice just do that, does it sound familiar? Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, I'm, yes, but uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, I also see your, your point just generally. And uh, I guess I'll need to watch a little more to see if they if they do decide to, to tread pretty dangerous ground these days commenting on the... <laughs> The stereotypical faults of women aren't isn't like a real fertile ground right now for comedy. I don't think. Well, that's what I had mentioned in the in one of the the earlier episodes about just sort of like I just wasn't so sure about like where they were going with this and like if this was an idea ten or fifteen years ago, if it's coming into a time now where it's like yeah no it's people are not going to rally around like demeaning girls or women and like we're just not going to do that anymore. You know yeah we're not going to think it's super funny and. The way that they make fun of the rest of the group, if you really think about it, it's sort of like an individual person could maybe be considered not smart or like Zog. Everyone's kind of like sick of him or whatever, but it's not like as a gender, but like they very much like how they said, like they kind of group women together where they're like, well, women are either a princess or a nun. Like there's just sort of this more like generalization about women Mm -hmm. that happens on the show so far that, you know, we shall see, you know. It would be interesting to see the Simpsons writing staff and especially where the showrunners are concerned and all that. That is always been men. I mean, can you think of a woman on in that whole pantheon of No, I I can only think of men. Out of all the women listed out of all the writers listed on the show, one woman, Jenny Batten, and she wrote one episode. She's also the voice of Kissy the Elf, right? It is Love's Tender Rampage. So not this one. Yeah. I mean, I would just say that I'm just, I, you know, I personally feel like it is more of a gender stereotype. I don't think that it was just like a, oh, being just an indecisive person. I don't think that that's really what it was. I don't believe, but um, there's maybe. only one other woman listed on the writing staff and she also contributed to Love's Tender Rampage. So this is uh, a potential. Uh, area of of weakness for the show is is all men staff all men jokes well and I, I mean i could imagine if you had an all men writing staff and you looked at them and you said what's the most torturous thing you could possibly imagine like would it shock you that it has to do with like i don't know arguing with their spouse or whatever no it would not shock me so I don't know. I we'll see. We'll see. Where we have more to watch. Goes. We have yeah. more to watch. Let's get into this like subplot about the witch. Walk me through the witch thing. So the witch, the witch stumbles into town and is caught by the the knight. The knight brings the witch to the jail where Bean is working, and all she can do is cackle. Right, and they and what they said was that the what the crime was that she was abducting people in the woods. Um, and so that's what we think is going on. Um, and you know, of course this sounds like the Hansel and Gretel story, but I mean, you know, she does kind of, you know, inquire a little bit more being as like, you know, what's going on with you? Why, why are you only like, you know, cackling like this? Like what's your scene? You know, yeah. she does seem a little bit like this doesn't seem like the only part here. And of course they get to the point where they're going to have to execute her and being can't do it. Like, she's like, no, I just don't. Now, I don't know if she couldn't do it to anybody or if she couldn't do it in this particular case because she feels like there's maybe something more to the story. Right. Because uh, as she uh, has killed people before, Lucy keeps pointing out uh, she has actually taken life before. 
and we'll see her take life again. So it's like... Um, it seems specific to this woman. But let's talk for yeah. a second about the actual execution scene and like all the side areas to that. I mean, the warm-up act of Gary the grab ass. <laughs> <laughs> I think we both laughed for like 15 minutes about Gary uh, the grab ass. That's a good joke. That's so funny. Um, you know, then they have the whole, uh, you know, obviously the kids on the shoulders, like the splash zone, the, the poncho salesman, right? Yeah. Trying to, and like, maybe you could catch a head if you like sit in the foul ball kind of area sort of thing. Um, so all of that I thought was like funny. Did you, did you catch anything else during the actual execution scene that you enjoyed? I mean, just the big obvious joke, the big s slow motion swing I thought was, was kind of funny cause it was unexpected. It was. Expected to and see a slow motion like swing, but unexpected that it was her making it slow motion. Yeah, exactly. That's funny. They yeah. were like, why is she doing it so slow? I think the most disturbing part of the execution scene, and I don't mean disturbing like my stars and garters, but like, did you notice that the king was actually very proud of her for this career change, that, that his daughter had become an executioner and he couldn't think of any better change in her life than than that? I guess that's one of those kind of things where it's like, you know, I mean, he is the one that determines who gets executed. Mm -hmm. So then you have to feel like what you're doing is the right thing if you're the king, right? So then if it's actually one of your kids who carry it out, you you would have some sense of pride, right? It's like, look, like the sentence was carried out because of my kid. Okay. I mean, I know it's all twisted, right, Jack? I mean, would I want you to become an executioner? No. Well, today's executioner is now a firing squad. <laughs> True. Or an electric chair, right? Right. Any which way, it's still embarrassing. I mean, the whole point that they have to wear a bag over their head to conceal their identity, I mean, that means that it's not honorable in many ways. Because, well, I, I mean, there's you a should historical be able to... reason, I'm sure. I thought because you don't want to be known as the guy who does it. That's just like repercussions, no? That's, I mean, probably, that's probably right. That's I probably assumed right. anonymity was like part of it. Yeah, that's probably right. I mean, not in the Game of Thrones world, of course. It's, it's, it's like a thing to be the headsman. But right. uh, I don't want to be a headsman. Do you want to be a headsman? No. Do you think you could put, could you do that axe if dad was like, yay, Jack, yay, Jack, well, kill the guy? If the axe broke half of the neck bone, it could be very disgusting to have the throw leaking blood all over it. That, that is a legit awful. concern, especially with uh, sword beheadings. Mm. Um yeah, and if your sword wasn't heavy enough and you only cut halfway, it was a real disaster. It was a real, like, you know, bad show. Is that <laughs> like a chicken with their head cut off? You're like, Rrr! you're like still talking, your head's half cut off? Yes. Gross. Yeah, it took a big two-handed sword to do it. And yeah. a big fat guy. And a big fat guy. All right, so the execution, she can't, she can't take it, so she runs off. Who does she find? Hansel and Gretel. But she's looking for Elfo. Yes, Elfo. Who oh. has made his way... Let's see, is he already there by this point? Well, Elfo is the first one that finds the cottage. Okay, okay. Because he thinks he's going to like go hang out, right? Yeah. Now, what he's is easily the, fooled. What is the traditional story of Hansel and Gretel, Jack? Like, like, who is the bad person and who's the good person in the real Hansel and Gretel story? The witch is the bad person, and the kids are Hansel and Gretel, who are good. Right. And so this was a real twist, right? What was the twist in this one? They were adopted. 
by her, so they took over and started eating people every time the gingerbread house lured them. So they, so she was actually like a nice person who adopted these little children. Hansel and Gretel, Gretel cooked them in a stove, but it was still in there when Bean got here. I know, my God. Did, how much did you guys absolutely think that Elfo had been cooked by the time they actually opened it? Wasn't it that they showed like a little dish with mm-hmm. a little guy in it? And yeah. It was, and they were like, this is your friend and like that business? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it had like a little hand or a little foot. A little foot. That's what it was, right? When they took off the little turkey bonnet thing on the foot, it wasn't like a turkey leg. It was like a little foot, like a baby's foot. Right. Gross. I would barf out. So Bean and Lucy do arrive. It does turn out that she is an executioner when she needs to be, as it turns out, by the end of the chase. Well, and we had already learned that in the previous episode, right? I mean, it's not that she hasn't killed people. She killed right. Viking people, right? Well, I mean, she pulled the lever and she kind of led the little revolt. But, you know, it was the it was the sharks and the and the fall that killed that. The lead I totally Viking. thought that she had even killed people before that. Didn't she kill someone in episodes one through three? Well, she kind of got credit for having the first prince killed because. Mm-hmm. With uh, the sword. The- yeah. But this is the first time where, like, she, like, swung a weapon and someone died. Well, I was totally shocked with the Sansa and Gretel twist. I always enjoy a good fairy tale twist. I love it, like, when it turns out that, like, the three pigs are really snotty and it was all, like, the poor wolf was just, like, the downtrodden one. Like, I always love these twists, right? Yeah. This was, like, a big thing when you were small, Jack, was to, like, have these twisted fairy tales where they would tell it from, like, the other side, the other point of view. Right. I remember you. you remember really fractured didn't... fairy tales. Remember that's what it was called, right? I still keep thinking about it. Tell me, what do you think about? Yeah, we don't know anything about fractured fairy tales. So yeah, tell us. You what, have to what tell is us fractured more fairy tales? It's a book about fairy tales with a different ending. Oh, <laughs> got right. it. I remember that. I think it was the third Shrek movie, maybe the fourth one, where they kind of went. They went to like a bizarro fairy tale land where. Yeah. Was it was it Jack it was and Shrek's Jill birthday, were right? were a couple of jerks that were sort of like slave traders? Do you remember that? Uh, Wasn't the one where of. it was like Shrek where he was like tired of being a dad? Oh yeah, yeah, that's the one. That's well, like it's a wonderful life. Everyone does that nowadays. They take it and just show what's life without the main character. Yeah, good call on that. But I remember as a little kid, you really responded to Jack and Jill being like these slave drivers. You really hated the idea that they had taken um, fairy tale um, characters. Like good people and, and turned them and, bad. And twisted them to be these jerks. You didn't like it. When you were little. Yeah. Since when? When you were small. When you were small. You had a strong reaction. You wanted to leave the theater. And I totally super loved it that it ended up that it was a curse on the witch and that she was able to like lose the curse and totally talk like normal again and go back to being a regular old hag. It makes you wonder if the- You didn't even laugh uh, at my hag joke. No, that's a good joke. It's a good joke. <laughs> it makes you wonder if, if the uh, cat lady from The Simpsons has <gasps> the same uh, curse on her. She kind of does the exact same thing, right? Whoa. Do you think that that's true? I'm not sure Maybe. if that's possible. Whoa. Oh, it's possible. Who would have put a curse on her? Good to know. It's possible. Something to noodle on, right? Yeah. Something to noodle. So the episode ends with Zog awarding himself a medal in parenting. <laughs> Sounds like a very Zog-like thing to do, but actually, 
Actually, we probably know people that do this to themselves <laughs> that aren't quite as bad as Zog, but still congratulate themselves for parenting. Well done. Absolutely. All right. So episode five, the twisted up Hansel and Gretel and the trying out different jobs for Bean. What do we give this? Thumbs up, thumbs to the side, thumbs down. What do we think? Well, I give it a thumbs up. For the fairy tale references and the explosion in the ending where the witch was now homeless. Ah, what a twist, right? Paulo, what do you give it? My thumb actually kind of sank a little on this one from the three quarters up that it had been. Just sort of, you know, I actually took a little snooze during this one. Oh, no. And, and it just, uh, I mean, the, the, the cool fairy tale stuff with the twist does help this this episode's case but um overall i don't know it, it wasn't the most amusing out of the bunch for me so far i agree with you i'm gonna give it thumb to the side as well and i'm gonna say because i didn't feel as layered as previous episodes like so it did have some of some of the things that we think are funny but i think that it focused more on a more simple tale you know mm -hmm. where they did just twist a simple fairy tale but it didn't have as many layers to it for us older viewers you know I, yeah. I can understand why jack would give it two thumbs up but i think that if you're a little more of a sophisticated viewer now like i like you bringing in the cat lady from the simpsons that gives me something to chew on right i like that but you brought it up it would have been funnier if the witch had a cat because she yeah. basically acted the same way you're yeah. right so then that would have been a cool little reference they'll throw in so exactly yeah to the side all right boys on to episode six swamp and circumstance which is a play on what pomp and cir circumstance yeah that's where i was going the song that is played at every graduation across america why do they do that it's tradition but why it, it um applies to this episode i can't answer that except for that this visit to dankmire where queen una comes from was a state visit which required a lot of uh what mm -hmm. are the etiquette and protocol right, kind of circumstance stuff of a ceremony. so I'm, I'm gonna go with that it's, it's that i will actually stuff. also layer on the idea that pomp and circumstance is played at a graduation meaning you are like moving up to the next level right you've like completed a level right and for being in this one at the beginning she's wanting to go to this hey man thing and you know all these years zog hasn't let her go and by the end of this episode he says like i don't want to hear about it but have a good time. Be safe. So she kind of graduates in his eyes and actually is allowed to do more and sort of becomes less of a little child. He they both kind of graduate a level up. Well, and he gave that to her in a in a he gave that he gave her enough rope anyway, right? Mm -hmm. Like these three episodes that we chose to review in one podcast, they start with being kind of uh doing something bad enough to get thrown out of the castle. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I'm feeling like very constricted, like like being tied up and then doing something good enough to at least get invited back in. Mm -hmm. And then in this one, she actually impresses the king enough to give her a little more independence, which is something she's been fighting for for all six episodes so far. Exactly. So then if you look at it, you can look at it like a graduation, right? Our character kind of evolves a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit, or at least the relationship evolves a little bit. I'm glad we talked about it. So now we can uh, totally just delete that part where I said, I didn't get it, and, <laughs> and uh, just move right past it. All right. So, so it starts off in a way that is like a very typical Simpsons or Matt 
graining kind of episode with the drinking at the Flying Scepter, right? These drinking games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the rainbows. Or, or even before that, the the idea of the king and the royal family just accepting tribute uh, is, is is a. I mean, the Simpsons don't ever accept tribute, but they do often start episodes in ways that don't really matter to the rest of the episode. You know what I mean? They have truly have these cold opens, and they, like, who but, cares? but they often do pull it together at the end, where it's like it doesn't make sense in the very, very, very beginning when you say it. You're like, what the heck? This just came out of nowhere. But that, but this actual thing, it does matter because it is representative of her freedom later. So it it plops it right at the beginning, like, what is this? You know, this doesn't mean anything to us. Mm-hmm. But when they bring it around back at the end, you're like, oh, I see what they did there. They kind of completed the arc. Ah, okay, all right. So she gets bored and runs off to the scepter. What was it? The royal? What the flying what, scepter? Flying scepter. Why is it called the flying scepter, Jack? Because the king throws the scepter to, through the window, which names the bar the flying scepter. I love it. Dreamland. Weirdness, right? Weirdness, right. <laughs> but that whole like, hey man, it's drunk and I'm late. <laughs> like that whole thing. Yeah. Funny, funny, funny. Zog and Bean wind up in Bean's tower talking about stuff. She's like, dad. And he's like, ew. You know, that that same kind of dynamic. I think this idea of like wanting to have a purpose in the kingdom and wanting to feel useful. I think that's something that is very understandable. Like she isn't necessarily wanting to move away or in, in really, she isn't even really wanting to like, you know, throw off her responsibilities in the royal family. But she doesn't want to be pigeonholed as like your only responsibility and your only thing to do is to be married. So she's asking like, can I have like an alternative job and still be royalty and be a part of this kingdom? And this is actually potentially, I haven't seen seven, eight, nine, and 10 yet, but this is potentially Zog having some sort of character arc, right? Mm. Where even though he initially, I think, comes up with the idea to give her a job on the trip to Dankmire as a way to appease her, but not actually, you know, expect much out of her. Since it does kind of work out later on, having her along on the trip, this is the way that he can grow is by is by learning to trust his his daughter. It's not like the most miraculous arc in the world, but for him, it probably is. Right. And I mean, I thought Una actually acted pretty cool in this one. Yeah, well. As a stepmom, I mean, she actually kind of spoke up for for Bean, right? Right. Encouraged him to actually give her a job. Oh, yeah. Definitely great. All right. So what was your impression of Dankmire, Jack? What was this place? Dankmire. It was a swampy place. Louisiana in Asia. And Asia. It was like this kind of weird melting pot, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, it's like Louisiana Asian or Cajun Asian is what I wrote. Instead of just going with a Shelbyville type idea here, though, where there's just sort of like they tell us that they have this rivalry, but they, you know, it's never really substantiated in The Simpsons why they hate each other. It's just what small towns apparently do in it Simpsons. It's funny, America. like how certain Matt is that right. you have to have a rivalry with the, with the right. town next to you. But in this case, they go and explain in a little kind of a cool story. We're actually going to take this this trip to Dankmire, which is a, a um, we are in a tentative treaty kind of situation with them. Everything's like pretty cool, right? We're in, mm-hmm. we're in like a 
tentative piece. But it has to be explained by someone other than Zog and Una that it's their marriage that is creating that piece. Mm -hmm. And I think that was cool. That was how you would do it on kind of a more complex show. What did you think of the little children's play? It felt 16 hours long to them. Have you ever been to like a little cousins thing or anything where you feel like you're sitting there and it's like, how many little kids are going to come out and do something? Have you ever had that experience? Sort of. I have. Have you, Paul? <laughs> uh, yes, I believe I've seen one or two child-centered uh, productions, <laughs> which seemed, uh, shall we say, interminable in their length. And this was right on when they were like, oh. <laughs> so when they Loved get there, it. being, I mean, there's a whole story about how there's swamp people who are different than these people. And there was the Dankmeyer people and that there was this canal that needed to be built. And there was some oppression of swamp people to do it. And that created like this hundred year war. And that's all just explained on the boat ride and just kind of here and there and drips and drabs and stuff like that. So that's really cool how- And Dreamland too was all mixed in that. How we get that sort of third party explanation. Mm -hmm. And then we get this play, which I've seen, I've seen this sort of trick before, like on like Rick and Morty and other stuff where oh. it's like this, you have someone related to the hero explain one version of the story. And then you go across the tracks and someone else explains it. And it's like, it's like Cobra Kai. It's like oh, yes. Daniel was the, was the was bully. The, was the bully. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, you know, they even go so far as like to portray like Zog and his family and stuff in the little play. I which... love when he was like, it was a marriage of convenience. <laughs> the little children say. That reminds me of, uh, <laughs> did you see those pictures of um, Prince Harry? and Meghan Markle at, at Hamilton. No. They even brought them on stage. And, okay. and Prince Harry made like he was going to start to sing, but he did not. But it faked everybody out, and they thought he was awesome for it. Okay. Yes. Because <laughs> one of Prince Harry's ascendants, right? That's the right word? I'm not sure. I don't know what He is a descendant about. of the the king being represented in the play. Ah, uh, okay. Right, I so that's why it was, now. it was interesting. I thought because I said a marriage of convenience... Then you brought up Harry and Meghan, and I was no, like, no. I'm not sure where you're That's going. Not with I'm this. sure that wasn't convenient at it all. It doesn't really. seem convenient. <laughs> that probably took kind of a lot of doing, actually. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so what is Bean's big job that she has to do here? She's an ambassador of Dreamland. Mm -hmm. And specifically at dinner... She's a drunken ambassador who flashes dank Marians. Uh -huh, but she's supposed to give an eloquent speech, right? Right. And instead, she goes bananas. Bonanza banana. Zog is not quite ready to trust her just yet, so he pulls the responsibility of the speech and gives it to Derek. Have you even noticed Derek before no, today? No, the only time... Okay, so Derek is this, is the actual biological son of Zog and Una. Yes. And he's just like such a little weirdo. I mean, I guess I noticed him a little bit in the previous episode. I mean, he was sitting there in the church this whole time. Now I recognize. Yep, he was. But it's like at the execution, you know, I mean, he was sort of hanging around there. But then now he's just like, is he an actual character? Because he's just a little weirdo. He reminds you of that kid that comes to your wedding and plays Game Boy. <laughs> <laughs> You're terrible. Should I be the one who plays a Game Boy at the wedding? No. No, <laughs> no you don't want to be that kid. No. Why? Because it's inappropriate when people are giving their vows and you're like, beep, 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 beep. So it ain't Christian to show <laughs> Grand Theft Auto cursing while Mario's trying to kill Bowser? No, none no. of those things would be right. So did you guys actually recognize those that Derek in okay. this, every every kind of fantasy land has its own... 
rules of succession for a for a crown, okay. right? Mm-hmm. And in this, this is this is a patriarchal one. So Derek is actually next in line for the throne okay. in Dreamland. Okay. So I didn't e- catch that. even though he is basically a half brother and a product of the second marriage because he's the firstborn male. It's been reported anyway that he is he is the well, next and in all honesty, I mean, I mean, why wouldn't he be though? I mean, this is the current wife. There's no like half anything. I mean, this is his current wife. This this is a this is the yeah. current queen, the current king, and they have a child. Why wouldn't he be there? You know. Well, if it's patriarchal, then yeah, that makes sense. But mm-hmm. in other societies, she's quite a bit older than him, and she would be the firstborn, thus the heir. I wonder if that do you do you think they're going to stick with that? Do you think Derek's going to become king, or do you think that the crown's going to go to Bean somehow? Well, the crown could go to Bean. Which do you think? Which is going to happen? Do you think it'll go to Derek or go to Bean? Well, I'd go for Bean. That's why princesses are handy in these sorts of societies, I guess, as they produce these pieces like you described in the last podcast about, you know, marrying into another family creates these alliances, blah, blah, blah. You kind of need daughters to do that. (laughs) So Yikes. Well, I'm glad we have a a use, huh, Jack? Yes. Do we have other uses? Uh, Yes. Absolutely. All right, so what were some of the funny small jokes that we saw along the way here? I saw that they went to eat at Mudruckers. I thought that was hilarious. That's good, yes. Total Mudruckers, Mudruckers. And who was their waiter? Chaz. Chaz. What the heck was he about? Maybe he didn't work at the spa anymore. You might even be able to draw the conclusion that based on his performance at the King's- uh, (laughs) He acted like a weirdo. (laughs) Rehabilitation that, uh, yeah, that he might have been dismissed- the antics at this at the dinner, however, do cause all-out war. Yeah, the Nygmarians are are ready to. I don't know. Immediately they're ready to, rumble to execute, but at least yeah, throw down, and that causes all of the Dreamland party to to need to run away. This part was kind of cool because Una comes from Dankmire. These people are essentially her family, but she's having to bug out because Zog and his family have to go. And she's running with them. And there's not even like a question mark of whether or not she will or she won't. That's sort of um, points in Una's column, I guess, if she was needing any. I liked Una. Yeah. I actually thought she did good in this episode across the board. Like I liked that she was encouraging of Zog to really, you know, view Bean as a quality person who can be an asset to the family and to like find a position for her. And then, like you said, the fact that she just like totally went off with her real family, you know, which was... Zog and her son and and her stepdaughter. I thought that that was great. Did it change your opinion about Una on this one? Yeah. She started as a freak using drugs, running around in a fountain screaming. Right. It's like she's just being chased by a mob, but Benny Hill style. Exactly. But then now in this episode, she kind of redeems herself, right? Oh, yeah. Bean is able to shake off that drunk pretty quick after they get running. I guess that helps work it off if you get your legs pumping I and think, sweat I think adrenaline. I think actually adrenaline would be like a like a quick like moment of clarity. I liked the joke with Elfo and Lucy doing the bowing. It had been established earlier that there was something like if you bow to them, they have to bow back or something like that. So right. they use bowing to slow down the horde that are chasing them <laughs> down the dock to their boat. So they would just bow and then back up a few feet and then bow and then back up a few feet and then bow. And that was enough time to get the boat ready for launch. That is super funny. I think that's a that's a great commentary on the 
futility of some of these traditions and how <laughs> like they can actually like shoot you in the foot. Yeah. Like maybe the tradition of Derek being the king or next in line, that tradition doesn't make sense when you have a, you know, a better candidate in being. So now the ending for, for this viewer goes, uh, I mean, since I can sum it up in just like a few lines. It was so fast. I had like five more sentences. Right. It goes crazy though, because kind of a lot happens, but it, it then, but it feels so jam packed. You know what I mean? I agree. What was the ending? They all get on the boat and then what? Well, first they got kidnapped by a bunch of Dankmarian hillbillies. Well, actually, first their boat gets cut in half. So they split the party and Una and Bunty have to sail on half a boat <laughs> back home. <laughs> right? It was so funny. And Zog and uh, Bean and her entourage get kind of stuck in this deliverance area with the swamp people who don't like Dankmarians or Dreamlanders. I was surprised about the monster being like the big ending to the hillbillies. I mean, it, it was a little forced in the deus ex machina sort of way. Like literally a foot came out of the sky and just mushed them. Right. Right. Mm, that make that. I mean, that feels a lot like uh, we just got to end this episode kind of kind of thing. It you did know? a little bit feel that way. Like we ran out of time. After all this, the swamp monster was defeated by Bean. Then they had. Then Bean was at the Hayman. Turns out King Zog was Hayman. Then hey, then King Zog and Derek left. That was a whole ending. Is Hayman supposed to be Burning Man? I think so. Is Burning Man supposed to represent a, a specific figure? This is how unhip we are in the suburbs. We know of Burning Man, but we don't know much about Burning Man. He's not really like a, you know, suburban Houston sort of thing. All right, so Burning Man closes with the burning of a temple galaxia a 65 foot wooden structure that symbolizes how the fabric of the universe connects all living beings for the burning of the temple people created memorials for deceased loved ones and past relationships so it is not an effigy of like mm -hmm. uh the president or something like that no. like in the man it's it's a i would have actually thought it was about the man but i guess mainly like we're all the man <laughs> okay well still it looked very burning manish to me it did uh, and i i liked i liked the overall like feel that it was like again you're bringing something like modern and that you know people in this day and age would know right culturally yeah some though again the whole age part some know some don't but then you actually have like the way bigger message of like that zog actually lets her go and you know that they've actually reached some new place here that she has a new position with the fam and he's actually okay with letting her, we're to say grow up because that's not it. Because obviously he was willing to marry her off. So it's not like he doesn't view her as an adult. It's like maybe he doesn't view her like property. Like maybe he's viewing her a little more like you're actually like a person with like thoughts and feelings and want to go do things and, you know. Well, it's those things plus the world building that happened that hadn't been much of a priority for this show so far where they tell us about Dankmire, they tell us about the Swan People, they tell us about the war, they tell us about the peace. And now we know a little bit more about the, the dis disenchantment world now in a very concrete way. For sure. That, and we understand Una and Zog. Like, how in the world did they ever get together? Now we know. I mean, as like a point of reference, we don't know where the forest is. We don't know where Elfo actually came from. We don't know where any of that stuff is, even though we've been showing that stuff. Now, this is much more concrete. That's world building in a, in a good way. And so that gets my thumb tilting 
more like the seven eighths marker, I would say, compared to the last couple episodes. We get a very satisfying kind of conclusion to our mini arc. We get the world building. And uh, and I like this much larger arc of like one through six of like she's trying to pull away and be this rebel and all the way to Zog being like, it's it's fine. You're actually old enough to go do this. And we don't have to have that same push and pull anymore. It, I hope as we go into seven, eight, nine, ten, that just like the the marriage thing sort of died. I hope the concept of like she's just a rebel gets to kind of simmer now, you know, that we came to some sort of understanding. There's one thing about being uh, the headstrong princess who has an independent streak and there's being a brat, which is what she's been represented as. Right. Well, and it would be definitely like moving backwards. If all of a sudden he decides he needs to start making all these rules that she needs to rebel against, it seems like, wait, 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 didn't we just deal with that? Yeah. Like, so I hope not. So, all right. So I'm going to give, I agree with you. I'm going like three corners thumb on this because I thought that there was a lot of growth of the characters and a lot of change. I liked all of that. Jack, what do you give it? Thumbs up. Thumbs up. What were your favorite parts? I liked when those two hillbillies got killed. <laughs> why? Because of the foot. Yeah, but why did you like it? <laughs> it was kind of funny, really. <laughs> so you're more about the slapstick of it all? Yes. Just the visual humor? Yeah. I get that. That makes sense. That's why it's there. It is. It's why it's, it's a crowd pleaser on all levels. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. We hope you enjoyed it. Our next one will cover seven, eight, and nine, and we will do ten, which uh, has been alluded to on the internet as having some kind of very interesting uh, cliffhanger all on its own in the coming days. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Catch us on iTunes or your preferred podcast software. Our website, dailyreview.com, that's D-A-L-E-Y review.com, Facebook or Twitter, or wherever you find us, please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show. Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.